everybody. It's 2 o'clock. It's fan drive time. I guess we, we could have considered a name change today. Uh, but it is 2 o'clock, and it is fan drive time. Opening day edition, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. The Blue Jays and St. Louis Cardinals, a mere two hours away from first pitch at Bush Stadium. Alec Manoa against Miles Mikolas as uh, the Blue Jays coming off uh, a season that was, I guess, successful. They made the playoffs. They were the top wildcard team, 92-win season after a 91-win season the year before. In fact, it's three straight upward trajectory winning percentages for this Blue Jays team. But, yeah, the clock's ticking a little bit. They're a very young team. Vlad and Bo, those guys are young. And, okay, they got a few more years of team control, but there's a, a number of key contributors on this Blue Jays team that are into their 30s, including Kevin Gossman, 32, George Springer. He's 33. Be a, a good year to win it all. They will start their quest to do so tonight uh, with George Springer leading off, Bo Bichette hitting second, Vlad Jr. hitting third. Dalton Varsho, the surprise cleanup hitter, at least for me, hitting fourth in left field. Alejandro Kirk, Brandon Belt, the DH. Matt Chapman playing third base. Whit Merrifield at second base. And Kevin Kiermeyer in center field. There's a, a lot to get to over the, uh, over the next two hours of the program. We'll have some great Blue Jays of years gone by. A couple of opening day starters in Todd Stottlemyre and uh, Pat Hankin, also the franchise leader in home runs. Carlos Delgado after 3 o'clock. But let's start it off with your friend and mine, Blake Murphy, who's in Kentucky, just a four-hour drive from Bush Stadium. He won't be at the stadium, though, today for baseball, getting ready for a wedding where he is not his own. Uh, he is uh, the best man, but uh, spending some time with us this afternoon. How's it going, Blake? I am. I couldn't be better. It's 16 and sunny. And right before I came in to do this call, I was sitting on the porch at my Airbnb uh, in the nice weather, listening to the Yankee game on the radio. And yeah, I'm ready to go. I have four o'clock cleared off to, to make sure I get the Jays game in around all the wedding stuff. Everyone understands uh, the maid of honor actually works for Major League Baseball as well. So it's like a, <laughs> a big running joke of the weekend that we're both kind of like eye on baseball the whole time. Uh, it's great. I'm, I'm so excited for today. And Aaron Judge starting us off off with like uh immediate home run just unbelievable way to yeah we're back to business here yeah and then everything outside of that being a strikeout in that game it was like 11 to the first 12 outs were recorded by a strikeout i think it's only continued since then yeah baseball's underway and in in fact uh a couple other american league east teams getting at it uh in mere moments in the red sox and orioles as well so that's good so that the, you, you're you're not being rude uh to slip away and, and watch baseball it's like expected of you, uh, what do you expect of this Blue Jays team? I, we, we spent lots of time over the last month during spring training talking peripherally about you know this upcoming season. But let, let's get down to the the nuts and bolts. This team won 92 games a season ago, 91 before that. Um, I think the, we've talked about the expectations being winning uh, the American League East. But let's talk about maybe the pressure of that because, as I said. Okay, you got one year of Brandon Belt. He's no spring chicken. George Springer, you're hoping to get a full uh, season out of him as much as you can out of a guy that's had some injury history over the last couple of years. And then the clock is ticking on Bowen Vlad and their team control. How much pressure do you think is on this team to make it, you know, a, a successful regular season, but going beyond that, winning a World Series with this great core? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of pressure on them. I, I think that 
you know, the way from a front office standpoint, yes, you're you're always going to be able to build a, a pretty competent team if you have Vlad, Bo, and Alec Manoa through their prime years, as well as some of the younger pieces that are coming up. But you look, and, and George Springer is on the back end of that deal now and into his 30s and is probably never playing center field again except for in a pinch. Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett are on the back halves of what you'd expect for you know, their, their peaks at least. Um, and, and this is a team that now has, you know, a payroll that maybe is not Dodgers level, but is competing with the second tier of the league in terms of payroll. So um, I, I don't, I don't see any way that there isn't pressure on them. And that's kind of been the talking point of spring training. Um, you know, the, the Dan Schulman talk. And when we uh, talked earlier in the week on the show about just that with Caitlin McGrath, about just that demeanor change and the business like approach, um, I don't think there's any hiding from how big the expectations are for this team and how big the expectations should be for this team. You, you can't be the team on the rise forever. Um, there are other teams on the rise who will be nipping at you very, very shortly. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good kind of pressure. I think it's the, the kind of pressure that um, these guys should embrace and find really fun and really challenging. Uh, but yeah, anything short of, you know, a good playoff run here, it doesn't have to be world series or bust because it's baseball, but um, the division should be in their crosshairs and making it, you know, a little bit of making a little bit of a run, at least in the postseason, uh, not just, you know, winning a game, but winning a series or two or, or yeah, the world series isn't out of the realm of possibility. Um, so those expectations are, a lot and pressure comes with that, but it's so much fun. It's so much more fun to have those expectations of that kind of pressure than to be heading into, you know, I know last year was a blast for Baltimore Orioles fans, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's a, it's a lot more, it's a lot more fun when the pressure is world series, not let's see how these prospects uh, turn out. I, I couldn't be more fired up and we get the very benefit of, we, we thought Ben everything was settled and then they give us the, the swerve with the 26th roster spot, Nathan Lucas Alvarado Lopez. And now we get a batting order swerve today. Dude, I was going to get to that. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I don't remember a spring game where everybody was in there and we were talking about, hey, this could be the opening day lineup, maybe save for one or two guys. Can't recall one of those where Dalton Varsho was hitting fourth. I remember a bunch where he was hitting sixth, and I thought, okay, well, that, that seems like the, the natural place for him. Uh, with Brandon Belt hitting fourth, and I know he had a very down year last year, but you just have to go one year prior to that when he was healthy, and he hit, what, like almost 30 home runs in 100 games with the Giants. Here's Dalton Varsho hitting cleanup for this team in his first game as a Toronto Blue Jay, albeit on the road in St. Louis. That that did catch me by surprise. Yeah, me too, a little bit, and I started, uh, as I do, you know, okay, what could this mean? It, it can't just be that... Um, you know, Varsho, they, they liked the way he was swinging a little better in spring training or anything like that. There has to be more to it. So um, first place you turn in, in a case like that is uh, what does the opposing pitcher look like? And okay, Miles, a guy who's had some success, but that is not an intimidating fastball. That's no. a four-seamer that uh, came in in the 93-94 range a lot last year. Well, guess who slugged 600 against those mediocre type of fastballs from right-handed pitchers last year. Uh, Dalton Varsho. Okay. And all of Brandon Belt's numbers from last year are going to be a little muted, but he hit like 105 against that type of fastball. I don't know how much the Jays put into that sort of uh, specific hitter versus pitcher type 
splits, but that was the first thing I was able to put eyes on. Varsho slugging 600 against guys like Michaelis and their, their kind of mediocre righty fastballs. Yeah, that would be a nice way for him to start his Blue Jays career with a, with a home run in his first game off a, off a righty and a guy that doesn't throw super hard. Um, maybe that's part of it. I do wonder, you know, we didn't really talk that much about what this team looks like against lefty starters. I was on with J.D. Bunkus this morning, though, and it was one of the... the the questions I was most curious about heading into this season for this team, because Varsho's career and last year was his real, his first real full season where he played close to 162 games. But throughout his career, he's been a guy that's, that's pretty, pretty rough on the old eyes against left-handed pitching. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier, we know he's not on this team to provide offense. He's been a, about a league average offensive player throughout the course of his career and obviously worse off against lefties. Um, and then I imagine you would like to get George Springer some DH looks, um, and those would naturally probably come against lefties when Brandon Belt's out of the lineup. I, maybe you are kind of stuck playing at least one of the, the two left-handed outfielders against left-handed pitchers. How do you think that's going to look for this team early on at least? I think, yeah, I think you're right that you're going to see one of them for sure. You just don't have enough guys, and, and at least when – it was Otto Lopez occupying that spot. If you did bring a bench guy in to mix things around, it was a, it was a righty. Um, so now, you know, I, I think Whit Merrifield is the extra outfielder against left-handed pitching, and, and there's not really much question to that. Yeah. And then, yeah, the DH spot, you know, I, they'll probably get belt some opportunities in there, but that's your chance to get Kirk a DH day or keep Jansen's bat in the lineup, get Springer off his feet, get Vlad a DH day. There, there are a lot of, you know, you might only see, if this is last year's Jays team, you might not see lefties ever. Um, you might only see, you know, 40 lefty starters over the course of the season. Um, that is not a lot of time to, to work all those DH reps through. So um, unless someone's going to play a position that we're not expecting them to, I think against lefties, it's a uh, rotate through for DHs. And then, yeah, I, I would my kind of thinking of it when we went through the Whit Merrifield playing time scenarios yeah. was, okay, against a lefty starter, you know, one of Kiermaier or Varsho draw out. And if it's Varsho who draws out, Merrifield goes to left. If it's Kiermaier draws out, Merrifield to left, Varsho slides over to cover center. And I think you're pretty well covered either way. Um, and, and then I guess you you get curious if they'd maybe use Santiago Espinal in the outfield at any point. But I think Espinal's a, a significant enough upgrade on Merrifield defensively at second that you just don't get that. Uh, you don't get that cute with it, I don't think. We think, uh, listen, I think this team is going to be better. Um, they're projected for one extra win in their their fan graphs, preseason predictions, than they were predicted to have uh, last year. So last year, before the start of the season, fan graphs had them at 88 wins. This year, they have them at 89. Uh, they, of course, had 92 wins a season ago. I don't know if necessarily that means they're a better offense. Where, where do you think this team factors in offensively? Because this is one of the best offenses in all of baseball. If it was not an up-and-down one, and it certainly was, but at the end of the year, you look at just about every metric, they were one of the best offensive teams in baseball. Is that still this team's calling card, in your opinion? I don't think it's their calling card. I, I think they are a good offensive team, for sure. I mean, the, the fact that whatever order you put those top six in against righties, you feel pretty good about it. The fact that Matt Chapman was one of the absolute best seven, eight, nine hitters in all of baseball last year. And he's probably going to hit seven, eight, nine, a lot of the time for this team. Um, you know, I think that seven holes probably his, and then you have a big bat in either Kirk or Jansen off the bench. Most days, I, I think this team's going to be really well equipped offensively, but where Teoscar was maybe more of a, 
an upside guy and, and Guriel, I don't know, it depended which year you were you were getting from Guriel if he was a power hitter or a contact hitter that year. Um, but I think that you you look at this offense and this team has a lot more ways to create offense. And I'm not necessarily talking about small ball, but they're a little faster. Um, there is a little bit more bat-to-ball skill. There is a little bit more lefty-righty versatility. Um, a lot of guys who can um, hit doubles kind of and move runners uh, across multiple bases at a time. And again, Guriel and Teoscar did those things too. But Teoscar, you know, the, the primary asset was the home run. And Guriel was, you know, year-to-year pretty Babbitt-fueled. So how, how much can you project that, you know, day-to-day in your lineup? So I just think this team has a lot more ways uh, to create offense this year, even if they end up, you know, I don't know, maybe their OPS is 10 points lower or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, there's a little more versatility there, um, including, as you and I talked about the other day, on the base pass, right? Yeah. Which is uh, a way that we haven't really seen Jay's teams of recent vintage, um, you know, create offense or make pitchers uncomfortable. And then to your, you know, the, that specific point about calling card, I think a big part of this offseason has been about becoming more well-rounded as a team. And that's primarily about the outfield defense, but also about the bullpen depth and things like that. I think that, you know, the identity that they had as this boomer bust, like we could put up seven, eight, nine runs in a blink of an eye, and you're always going to be uncomfortable about that. That was, that was really fun. And, and it was obviously successful. Um, but the the edict now I think is just being, a well-rounded baseball team that has a lot of different ways to beat you. So um, we'll see if over 162, that makes them harder to play against, harder to strategize against. Um, Maybe a a couple fewer home runs down at Rogers Center, but uh, a lot more ways to come back in games or or extend leads and things like that. I think it'd be neat if this team's calling card was the incredible defense it plays. Like, you can't be a a, a below-average offense, which I I think would be uh, something horrible would have had to have happened for that to happen, but it would be kind of neat to see every fly ball that uh, gets out to uh, the Rogers Center outfield turn into an out, which it very well may uh, be as far as uh, left field and center field with Dalton Varsho and Kevin Kiermaier out there. Blake, happy opening day. Enjoy it from Kentucky. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I'm going to crack a beer and maybe wander over to the Louisville Slugger Factory before this Jays game starts. Sweet. No no better place to watch baseball than the Louisville Slugger Museum. See you, man. <laughs> See you, buddy. There's Blake Murphy. All right. Alec Manoa is going to make his first ever opening day start for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Well-deserving after being one of the leading Cy Young Award contenders a season ago. Let's talk to a guy who won one in 1996 First Blue Jay, in fact, to win a Cy Young Award. Two-time Blue Jays opening day starter, Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer. It is Pat Hankin on the line. How's it going, Pat? Happy opening day. I'm good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, good to be here. What's going on? I don't know. Just uh, ready to watch uh, game one of 162 uh, this afternoon down in St. Louis. Um, you're, you're a guy, like I said, who's done this twice. W- what, what were you feeling before the first time you, you towed the slab on your first opening day? Oh, it's uh, boy! You got a lot of adrenaline. You get up that morning, you're excited. You know, you're coming off your last outing in spring training. You're hoping that that was a good outing, so you have some good memories there. And you're focused on the team you're going to face. And you you get out there a half hour before, and they they turn all the lights off at the Rogers Center, and the crowd's thumping. Your heart's pounding through your jersey, and you're just pumping, trying to hit the catcher, and, and just trying to control your emotions and your adrenaline. 
and all that's happening. And then the national anthem starts, you start your walk down, it's dark, the crowd's on their feet. It's just an incredible feeling. I mean, it's something I'll never forget. That's for sure. It's right up there with your major league debut, you know, and, and, you know, once you get that first out, your nerves start to settle in and, and then it's just compete your butt off until, until the manager comes and gets you. But at that point, yeah, you're just excited and you're just, ah, it's a good feeling. It's exciting yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a, a good feeling from this end of it as well. Just watching it on, on TV from St. Louis. And you know what? Alec Manoa is going to make this opening day start and he is uh, slated to make the home opener start as well on, on April 11th. You've gotten a chance to, to, to talk to Alec Manoa. This is a guy who, uh, got to start in in the postseason um, to start it off against the Seattle Mariners last year, and it, it didn't go necessarily so well. So I, I imagine that's also on his mind, trying to avenge that. But, yeah, it, as far as having the ace mentality, does he have it? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, he's on a staff with Bassett, Berrios, and Gosman, I mean, and Kikuchi. I mean, they got a lot of experience there. He's, he doesn't have the experience, but... He has the success. He has that bulldog attitude. He knows he's great. Uh, you know, he's got last year to build on. He's had a good spring. And these guys, you know, I got to spend a week with them, and it was it was great. I mean, just seeing the way these guys work, the way they talk to each other, the way they try to learn from each other, the way they held each other accountable. A lot of good things happened down in Florida, so we just got to carry it over into April and, and up into Toronto, start here in St. Louis today. So a, a lot of people are looking at Alec Manoa's season a year ago, and, and it, it was great, no doubt. But the, the, the strikeout rates going down uh, allowed a few more base runners, but was able to pitch around some, some traffic on the base pass and wondering whether he'll be able to repeat that year over year. You were not a, necessarily a strikeout guy. It was a different era as well where strikeouts were, were not at the rate that they are in 2023. But did, can you relate to a guy like that? I mean, yeah, Roy Halladay, one of the, the best pitchers in the history of the franchise, like yourself, also a guy that liked to induce uh, contact early on in a plate appearance. Do you see that in, in Alec Manoa, a guy that, that doesn't necessarily need to punch you out? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I know, like, there's times when you want to try to strike a guy, you know, runner on third, less than two outs, tight game, you're facing another ace, you know every run is critical. All those things come into your mind when you're trying to strike people out. It's not easy to strike people out in the major leagues. It's easy to get two strikes on a big league hitter. It's not easy to put a guy away. And sometimes, you know, getting soft contact is a great way to get somebody out. I mean, shoot, I mean, we tried to go seven, eight, nine innings when I played in my era. And, yeah. and striking out a lot of guys eats up a lot of your pitches. It's tough to have 125 pitches and throw, you know, nine innings with under that amount of pitches. So striking out guys was great. Don't get me wrong. I tried to strike out every guy that I faced, but it's just reality hits and balls are put into play. And, and uh, sometimes the best out is just a nice, easy ground ball to short on a OO count. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, not a better way to start an inning by having soft contact and getting that first guy out. It's, you know, it just, uh, it's, it's, I think sometimes a strikeout could be a little bit overrated for starting pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you want to go deep in a ball game and especially when guys are so, so rarely going past a hundred pitches, getting uh, some, some quick resolutions early in the game, go a long way to that regard. I, I, man, I, I was thinking about Jose Barrios and I was thinking about your career and the parallels are, are pretty staggering when you go back to your 1995 season. So this is the year before you won your Cy Young award. You, you led the American League in earned runs allowed and hits allowed, and then you spend an offseason regrouping, and then again, win 20 games and win the American League Cy Young Award. Jose Barrios also led the American League last season in hits allowed and earned runs allowed. What did you do that offseason? Uh, how, how confident were you that you were going to be able to turn it around? And that, that was a pretty stark uh, difference in, in performance between those two years. 
You know, I came off having two good years in 93 and 4. 95 had a bad year, and then I came into spring training just trying to get back to the basics, you know. I remember just thinking about what, what, what allowed me to become the pitcher that I became in 93 and 94, and how did I do that? And, I, you know, you try to self-evaluate and figure out exactly what you need to do. And in the end, it came down to just getting back to the basics. And I tell you what happened that year. We got a catcher from the Braves, O'Brien. And he didn't catch me much in spring training, but when he did catch me in the game, I'll never forget it. It was it was in a, it was against Anaheim in Toronto, and I hadn't shaken him off yet. And we kept throwing pitches I'd never thrown before. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm throwing balls on the outer half to, to the right-handed hitter, where I used to pound a lot of right-handers and throw my hook. So I think when Charlie came over, he kind of opened up the outer third, the outer half to the plate, and it led to some success early on. And my ball had a natural cut on that side of the plate. So lo and behold, it was a ball that was cutting away from barrel. And every day you become a big leaguer, you try to keep learning. And I learned that 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 section of the plate was a weapon for me that I wasn't utilizing the first four or five years in the league. And I think that had a big impact on me as well. It's just how I pounded guys for five years in a row. I mean, up and in, up and in, up and in. And then all of a sudden I get this catcher from the Braves who likes to go down and away more. And I had success early when he caught me. And I, you, you buy into the program, next thing you know, and I had the best year I ever had. So coincidental, I don't know, maybe, but it's probably a big factor. Yeah, that's that's the fact that yeah. No, that's super interesting that it's like, yeah, pick pitch selection um and, and right. pitch usage, which right. I, I think is is sort of the, the story around right. Jose Barrios as well. Like did you did you get a chance to talk to him? Obviously, I mean, yeah, your well, that, story would be one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Barrios, I was gonna say that maybe it could be more about where he's trying to go with pitches. It's a risk reward thing. I know Pete and the staff there do a great job, so I'm sure they've tried to, you know, exhaust every avenue they can. And uh, he's a stud. He's a hard worker. I, saw, I actually only saw him throw one time because he came back from the WBC. Mm-hmm. So I only got to see him throw one time inside. It was not. It was a uh, not in a game situation. It was a side day. But yeah, you could see the electric fastball, the fluidity, the way he can spin the ball. I agree with you. I think he's going to have a rebound year. I don't know if you said that, but I'm going to say it. I think he's going to have a better <laughs> year for sure. Well, I'm, <laughs> I mean, like you, he had a, he has a history of being a, a very good quality major league pitcher, right? And he had one just outlier season like you did. And, man, it would be nice if he, like, followed it up like you did with a Cy Young Award-worthy uh, campaign. But it, it makes sense, right? Like, the... The, the Blue Jays signed him to a, a deal that takes him through the better part of a decade because he's been super consistent throughout the course of his entire career, and then he has this one outlier inconsistent year. Doesn't it make sense that he would go back to being consistent this year? Oh, it does. I remember I had this argument with a coach we had years ago. He said, how come good players are lucky all the time? I said, I used to tell him, Bob, that's not the trait. I'm not telling you that guys can't have bad luck for a stretch. You want to talk about luck even and out, it takes 10 years for it to even out. Yep. My point is, you're right. He could have had a bad six-month stretch in MLB where the ball didn't bounce his way, the calls didn't. You know, you'd be amazed at how one call or one pitch can affect the guy's outing as a starting pitcher. I lived it, and you can. I'm telling you, you can always bring it down to like one or two pitches where if you got a call or if it was a foul ball instead of a ball that was fair down the line or – just it, it, or if you just would have made a better pitch in a situation, you know, you made a bad pitch in a bad situation, it costs us two runs and that costs us a game. And you just you can look back on one or two pitches sometimes on a hundred pitch outing and go, gosh, I wish I could take those three pitches back. You know, the whole game would be different. So I think that he's going to keep his chin up and have a better year. Yep, and and going in maybe under the radar as the, this team's fourth starter as opposed to starting opening day a, a season ago might do him wonders. Um, Pat, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Okay, have fun. Enjoy opening day. We will. Uh, there's Pat Hankin, 1996 American League Cy Young Award winner, two-time 
Blue Jays opening day starter and Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, if that if you want a case study in somebody doing what Jose Barrios is attempting to do, just go back and look at Pat's baseball reference page in the 1995 season after being a two-time All-Star, finishing sixth in Cy Young voting in 1993. He threw up his worst season to that point in uh, 1995 and 30 starts had an ERA over five, not dissimilar to Jose Barrios and gave up 114 earned runs that led the American league, 236 hits in just 200 innings goes into the off season regroups. Doesn't do things all that differently. According to, to Pat, just maybe a little bit of a different pitch mix and has an ERA of three 22 and uh, wins 20 games and his first, American League Cy Young Award, the Blue Jays first in their franchise's history. So maybe a lesson to be learned there for Jose Barrios. All right, when we come back, as we head towards a 4 o'clock first pitch in St. Louis, Alec Manoa against Miles Michaelis, we will talk to another Blue Jays opening day starter. Not the uh, moment he was most remembered for, though, as a Toronto Blue Jay, winning a couple of World Series rings. Todd Stottlemyre. Next, 1990 Blue Jays opening day starter as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm Ben Ennis as we get you set for the Blue Jays season opener in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Blue Jays, Cardinals, a couple of teams, our next guest played for throughout his illustrious Major League career. Uh, 1990, Blue Jays opening day starter, of course, won a couple of World Series rings with the Blue Jays in 92 and 93. It's Todd Stottlemyre. Todd, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. How are you, sir? Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to do it. I'm actually Ballpark Village right now in St. Louis getting ready for this uh, big game today. So it's my first opening day since 2002. I got to tell you, I love that the Blue Jays are here playing the Cardinals, and I'm hoping that I'm going to be watching a preview of the 2023 World Series. Yeah, that that would uh, that would be pretty sweet, uh, I think. Uh, and, and I think uh, just about every uh, anybody anybody listening to the sound of my voice would agree with that. So yeah, paint the the picture for me in St. Louis. This is a Cardinals team that won ninety three games a season ago. They're they're like a perennial uh, World Series contender, um, and that is it's baseball land there, right in in St. Louis. Um, how you know, how excited is the yep. fan base? Well, it's pretty crazy. There's probably somewhere around 60,000, 70,000 people here at Ballpark Village now. Obviously, all of those are not getting inside the stadium. But uh, with Ballpark Village being an entertainment center, a city within a city, uh, there is definitely a lot of action going on. And I got to tell you, you know, all throughout my day and doing a kind of a media circuit here, Mm. uh, I think people kind of mirror what I've said. It's like, well, and, and it's kind of funny. They say, well, the Blue Jays are stacked, is what they're saying in St. Louis. And they look like they're destined or potentially 
have an opportunity to get to a World Series. And then they say in the same breath, and we're hopeful the Cardinals will make it too. So, uh, look, this Blue Jay team is stacked. And, you know, they got to stay healthy and, and go out there and play their brand of baseball. And I think that 2023, I'm hoping, is going to be a great year for them. Yeah, um, that would be uh, that would be pretty interesting. So let's go back to, to 1990 when you made your opening day start. You guys had just won the the division in '89. It had been a, a couple of postseason failures throughout the '80s. There, it was a couple of years removed from you guys breaking through in the postseason. Do you remember what it was like towing the slab on in, on opening day? I guess it was uh, April 9th in Texas in 1990. Do you, do you yeah. remember it? I do. I, you know. Uh... I guess, unfortunately, it wasn't just the Rangers I had to beat that day. I had to beat a guy by the name of Nolan Ryan. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> obviously, I came away with my first loss of the year, but that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, listen, I was a young guy. Uh, what a thrill that it was for me. We only played one game in Texas, oddly enough. And, you know, the true ace of the staff was Dave Steve, and he threw the uh, the, the home opener, and which was li- literally a couple days later so. Uh, you know, look, I got the bid, and I, and I think that because it was only one game there, we were going right to Toronto. And, and of course, you know, hometown fans, the <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays, you know, they wanted their ace on the mound for that game. So, but with that being said, it was still such a thrill for me. Um, it was awesome to experience it. You know, opening day is a special day around Major League Baseball, and it's, it's where everyone has the vision and the belief and all of the hope that it's going to be their year coming out of spring training. Um, it's a playoff atmosphere without a doubt. Um, you know, everyone coming off the off season, all the stadiums full across, uh, you know, both countries. And, and I just think that uh, what, what an exciting day. I can tell you that uh, after watching the WBC, that baseball is front and center again. And uh, I'm looking for a great year for it. Yeah, and looking at some of those WBC rosters, there's a lot of those guys littered throughout the Cardinals lineup, right? Like Lars Newtbar uh, leading off for Team Japan. Um, He's uh, he's playing the outfield for the Cardinals. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill as well uh, playing for Canada. Like, what 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 kind of an impact do you think that might have on on those guys' seasons that they've already seen some pretty competitive at bats before before go? Yeah, well, you know, one one of the things it seems like to me is. Um, you know, they have, they've been game speed, those games, by the way, you know, they weren't charity games. You could tell, uh, everyone that put a uniform on that was representing their country was playing the, the, the game of baseball. They were playing to win. They were playing to support their country. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So there's no question that the guys that played in the WBC games, that they're probably maybe a, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a, a heads up on kind of maybe getting more to that pre-season or mid-season routine. Um, I, I would say they're probably more advanced. They've seen more games that actually had, a, uh, you know, a lot of meaning behind it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, these are human beings that throw that uniform on and a lot of things can happen. And uh, But I got to tell you, there's a lot of excitement here. I know there's a ton of excitement in the city of Toronto and the country of Canada uh, for the squad that they're going to be putting out there. So I'm excited for the Blue Jays. I'm excited for Blue Jay Nation. I'm hopeful, and I'd love to to see nothing more than the series uh, up in the great north. 
Well, you would know what it feels like at the beginning of a season to to be around a team, be part of a team that was eventually going to win a World Series. You were you were in 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 spring training twice in in ninety two and ninety three uh, with teams that went on to to win World Series. Was there was there something? Was there a connective tissue between those two teams? Was there something that you you can point to now in retrospect and say, hey, at that point, I, I knew that this team was was destined for greatness. Well, first of all, man, I had my teammates that I had, and I got a chance to play with there. I mean, those guys were so many superstars on that club. And, you know, for somebody like myself, I would just tell you that for me it was an honor. I was so grateful to be part of those clubs. But, man, there was true greatness from a player standpoint, number one. And then number two is, like, it was a bunch of guys that absolutely had the desire. Mm -hmm. And where winning a World Series uh, for those groups, was more important than individually having some sort of great year. It was really, truly the desire to be a world champion. So they had the desire. They had great players. Um, the team, in my, in my opinion, when I look back on that squad, it was like that team came together every time it was game time, and it was all about winning the game. And it didn't matter whether someone went 4 for 4 or 0 for 4 Hey, did the Blue Jays win? That was the single most important thing. And then the other thing that those teams had, they had belief. They truly had belief in their talent. And I believe that Cito Gaston had a lot to do with that. And, uh, and the organization had a lot to do with that, that belief level that that team was built to win. And, and then they went out and did it. So it was remarkable. I'm, I'm so grateful and honored. And, and I got to tell you, man, there was so much pride, too. And I think this gets missed a lot is, you know, we were a bunch of guys from all around the world. You know, there were guys from the Dominican Republic. There were guys from Venezuela. There were guys from Canada. There were guys from the United States. But when we came together, we put that Blue Jay uniform on. We were representing the, uh, the country of Canada, the city of Toronto. And, man, i got to tell you something. We took pride in that and representing that. And we all, all of us, had a thread of Canadian that was born and lived inside of us because of those teams. And I'm forever grateful for it. Well, those were great times uh, to be watching baseball if, if uh, you were a Canadian, if uh, you were a citizen of, of Toronto uh, at the time, no doubt. It's interesting you mentioned Cito Gaston. The Blue Jays are going through their first full season with manager John Schneider. And, and, and there's been this through line throughout spring training, Todd, about this team having a more professional approach, being a little bit more attentive to details. Like how... How does that manifest itself? How how does the the manager I impart that stuff on on a on a team? Well, it's the leader of the squad, right? And and uh, you know, it's it's more, you know, it's 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 easy to say to a club, um, you know, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to be more professional, we're going to be more disciplined, we're going to be, you know, more, we're going to we're going to create excellence in some areas, but the leader saying that and then the leader actually being the person who's leading in actions of that. And that was what was so great about Cito. <laughs> you know, Cito didn't have a lot of clubhouse meetings, but I'm going to tell you something about Cito Gaston is he didn't just talk. He walked his talk. And he, and because of that, every guy in that clubhouse had the respect for him. I think we're seeing that right now in Toronto. I'm hopeful for that. Hopefully it continues. Like I say, I think, look, I, I know I probably sound like a broken record. I just have this funny, sneaky feeling to me. It's their time. It's their year. 
They've been close. They put back-to-back great seasons together. It's time for the breakthrough. We had to go through that, too. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, we went from zero to hero overnight. <laughs> we got to the playoffs, right? Yep. And, and you mentioned in 89, we get beat. We go back in 91 yep. as the favorite, really, to get to the World Series. We get beat out by a team that we've beaten all year, the Minnesota Twins. And then 1992, we came with that desire, that belief that I was talking about, and the hunger to be a world champion, and then finally broke through. Yeah. Well, maybe these guys have had that wall, and maybe it's time for them to break through that wall, and maybe this is the season for them to do that. Yeah, no, there's, there's real comparables. There's real through lines. There's real uh, parallel uh, tracks that this team is on than that – uh, comparing it back to those early 90s Toronto Blue Jays, the pressure part of it is something that I, I can't quantify because I, there's a ton of pressure on on that 92 Blue Jays team to finally break through, right? Because of being, yeah. you know, the fact that they were they were favorites because there were like some pretty epic meltdowns at the end of seasons and in, in, in the late 80s there. How did, mm-hmm. how did you guys tamp that down? Like how did you deal with the pressure that was starting to build, which is also starting to build on this Blue Jays team? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you walk into that locker room on a daily basis, and it's like, check the ego at the door, come together, and it was, you know, it was about win that day, and we just really tried to stay focused game by game, series by series, and yet our vision was out in front of us to be world champs, but we didn't get so caught up in it that we didn't take care of the business we needed to take care of that day. Once again, that came from the leadership of Cito Gaston, and he talked about winning that day, and he talked about winning each series and, and competing in each series. So by the time you get to the playoffs, when, it's, when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you get into a playoff scenario, you're used to a playing all season long, win the series, win the series. Then when you get to the playoffs, you've got to win that series to move on to the next, to the, you know, your next turn at it, at it and the next step to get to the World Series. So, I'll just say it's like, you know, one of those things that, you know, we blocked, we blocked all the noise on the outside. We focused on what we needed to do on the inside. I'll tell you, 1993, I believe, was more difficult. Really? Because after winning the World Series, we go to spring training. Now, now the expectations are even higher and greater that anything other than win a World Series is a failure. And But, you know, what was awesome is literally early on in 93 – Everyone came back and said, yeah, we're world champs, and we're the reigning world champs, but let's not give it up. It's too much fun. It's too great to be a world champion. Let's not let someone take it away from us. And, then you, and it was like this new energy, this new desire, this new belief. Let's go do it again. Um, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. You guys did do it again. <laughs> um, you know, baseball since the, the 90s, and, and you were on a, a pretty interesting team uh, at least part part of the season in 1998 when Mark McGuire was hitting 70 home runs, that the, the yeah. baseball had a renaissance, right? Like it, it, the strike in 94, uh, a race, a World Series, and, and interest in baseball starting to wane, and then it has this huge boon in the late 90s with that homer chase, and it, it re-enters the conversation as one of the core sports or, or the most popular sports in North America. And since then, it's kind of slowly declined, like frankly, Todd, honestly. If you go by ratings, you go by fan interest, you go by entertainment level of the game and now we got this year where there's huge huge rule changes including the pitch clock no shift do you think we could ever like start trending back towards the the level of interest this sport used to have in the late 90s well i would tell you i hope so 
Uh, I want to be optimistic. I would tell you the rule changes. Sometimes you kind of scratch your head and you kind of ask the question is how come, you know, we were the sport, the one sport with no clocks that you actually had to play the entire game. You had to finish it all out. Uh, there were no time clocks and uh, where time couldn't, couldn't stop or start a game. Like you had to play it out. So um, bases being bigger, uh, time clock on pitchers, how many times you can throw the first base. It's kind of like, I don't want to be negative, but I'm just going to point back to the WBC. Mm. How entertained were we? We were so entertained. And why were we entertained? And I believe there's a lot of reasons why. Number one, you know, the players themselves had a lot of energy because they were representing their country. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this again. We need to get back on from the player standpoint. What do we need to do from a player standpoint? We need to make damn sure that the name on the front of that uniform is more important than the ego and name on the back of the uniform and start taking pride and being blessed and being grateful to be able to wear that thing. And I think that if we'll do that as players and we'll go out there and we'll compete with everything we've got every single day, we'll give something to the fans to cheer about. And that's what they're looking for because think about it. Those WBC games, if you look at – no one cared whether the game went three hours or three and a half hours. No one cared. Television didn't care. No one cared in the stadium. They stayed till the end. So why, why this whole big thing on timing and clocks and this and that? When the fact of the matter is, all fans want is to be entertained. They're looking for a great product. They're looking for players to show up, take pride in the uniform, and play with all of their heart. That's, that's what fans are looking for. You want to see someone, and, you know, and I think what happens is we get caught up in someone, you know, people are taking too many days off or this or that or on DLs and all of this, and maybe we're not seeing the brand of baseball we need to see. So for me, it's like let's up our games and let's give back to the fans. And the way we give back to the fans is by laying it all out on the field every single day. That's the way to get the love of the game back. And you mentioned it, Maguire Sosa. Mm -hmm. And it was like, these are two guys that were chasing history. And it was like, and and both North America got so engaged in it because they were being entertained. So we got to remember, where's the entertainment? The entertainment is on the field. And it's it's not about putting a runner on second base on a tie game and extra innings. That's not entertainment. Matter of fact, half of baseball fans hate the rule. Mm. So if that's the fact, it's like, what are we doing? At the end of the day, we want, we want to change the game. We want the fans back. Let's go play the game the way it's supposed to be played, and let's go give them something to be entertained about. That's what I would say. Well, I, I think, uh, fingers crossed, that uh, this afternoon's game in St. Louis will be uh, part of that entertainment. Todd, uh, it was yeah. a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. You, you got it, sir. Take care. Yeah, you too. There's Todd Stallemeyer. 1990, Blue Jays opening day starter, won a, a pair of World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays in St. Louis. Um, doesn't like the new rules. Just, I can I can understand that. This is the sport with no clock, and there is quite noticeably a clock. Although, you know, watching the broadcast of the this Yankees-Giants uh, opener in the Bronx, clock does not make an appearance on the broadcast. It is not visible on the field of play, 
They bring it up if it starts to get under 10 seconds, I think, is when the broadcast brings it up, and you don't notice it. We might see a Yankees-Red Sox game that's played in under three and a half hours. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't mean to disagree with Todd Stottlemyre, or maybe I do. Um, but yeah, no, I think the game is much better off. And while I love the World Baseball Classic games, and especially the finale, United States and Japan, I think it actually could have benefited from a pitch clock. I think we could have done that in, in honestly, three hours instead of 3.45. All right, speaking of uh, the action that is ongoing right now, couple of games. Blue Jays start up at uh, at 4 o'clock in St. Louis against the Cardinals, but the day got started in the Bronx. Sunny day, if not a little chilly, in uh, New York City. Yankees hosting the Giants. The Giants, of course, could have almost, should have had Aaron Judge, or should we say Arson Judge, uh, and didn't quite, despite the reporting of, of John Heyman, and Garrett Cole getting the start for the Yankees. Aaron Judge coming off his historic season a year ago. Stepped to the plate in the bottom of the first inning and carried it over where he left off. Pitch is swung on and hit in the air to center field in deep. Back goes Yastrzemski on the track at the wall. She is gone. Unbelievable. Aaron Judge in his first at-bat of the year hits a home run to dead center. It is a Judgean blast. All rise. Here comes the Judge. All right. Aaron Judge uh, with a home run in his first at-bat of the game. Since then, he is uh, one for three with a couple of strikeouts. There's a ton of strikeouts in this game. And by the way, Glaber Torres also with a home run in this game, a two-run bomb as uh, Josh Donaldson with a single uh, right before him. Garrett Cole done now. What a line for his debut. Goes six innings, giving up just three hits, no earned runs, walked a couple, including the first man he faced this season. 11 punch-outs as Wandy Peralta into the game in relief for the Yankees, as far as the Giants, it's uh, Logan Webb through six innings. Uh, he gave up the three earned runs, including a, a couple of home runs on four hits, but also big strikeout totals. Twelve strikeouts for him and a walk. Mentioned there was another American League East affair, two American League East clubs, and I, you know, as much as I love the pitch clock, I, I can't say that I love the idea of it being on the Green Monster, which it is at Fenway Park. But uh, the Red Sox opening up their season against an Orioles team with, honestly, higher expectations than the Red Sox even, or at least comparable. And part of that is they have a great, great switch-hitting young catcher. And the Orioles, one of the best teams in the American League with him. They get a full season of him now. They get a full swing from him now. It's in the right field. It's a home. His first opening day swing. Adley Rutschman puts the Orioles on the board in the new season with a home run at Fenway Park. Uh, so Adley Rutschman with the solo home run. Orioles and Red Sox tied up at ones as they play in the top of the third inning. Corey Kluber getting the opening day start over Chris Sale at Fenway Park. Uh, they play in the top of the third inning elsewhere. Uh, National League East affair in Washington, D.C. Nationals trail the Braves 4-1. to one. Brewers and Cubs just getting underway. Marcus Stroman, opening day starter for the Chicago Cubs. They are scoreless through two innings of play on opening day. When we come back, all right.
Blue Jays in St. Louis to play the Cardinals with uh, Alec Manoa on the hill against Miles uh, Michaelis. Uh, we're going to talk to a guy who was in a similar position to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Now, his teams didn't have quite the expectations that Vlad's have had since he's been called up. But this is a guy in Carlos Delgado, who we're going to talk to next, who was relied upon to provide offense at a very early stage of his career and at a, ver a very early age. Now, he rose to the occasion, by which I mean he became the franchise's leading home run hitter, leads the franchise in RBIs, leads him in walks, also one of 18 men to ever hit four home runs in a single Baseball game parlayed that into a nice contract at the time with the Marlins, who, in true Marlin, uh, Marlinian fashion, traded his money away to the New York Mets. Um, but I wonder if there's a parallel, if, if Carlos can, can speak to the idea of being a young player with high expectations and being thrust into the position of being the centerpiece of an offense. That's coming up next as we get you set for first pitch in St. Louis, the Cardinals with great expectations. They got a couple of guys who are maybe headed for the Hall of Fame in the middle of their lineup. And Blue Jays hope so as well. Four o'clock first pitch in St. Louis. Carlos Delgado next. Then we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith as we get you set for first pitch on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. It's a fan drive time. Opening day edition. Sportsnet 590 The Fan.